Hey, what's up, everybody? TK here. Now, before we jump into today's show, I have a short message for you. So earlier this year, January 12th and 13th of this year, I got together 70 B2B SaaS founders for a live workshop. Inside that live workshop, I showed them my process that I followed for nearly 15 years on how to craft a strategy to win, to actually grow your SaaS business in 2021. Uh, the results were amazing. Uh, we got a 9.5 out of 10 rating in terms of value from the workshop and whether they would recommend it to a fellow founder. We also got some amazing testimonials. So what we've done is we've taken all the recordings from that workshop, codified the framework, cleaned it all up and turned it into a masterclass. And inside of this masterclass, I'm going to teach you step by step on how to craft a strategy to win for your SaaS business in 2021. If you want to learn more about it, if you want to read the testimonials we got, if you want to learn more about exactly how we go about crafting a strategy to win so you can outflank your competition and drive growth, go to tkcater.com workshop for all the details on how to get access to it. Now, on to our scheduled show. Especially if you're doing a B2B SaaS, mm -hmm. you've got to understand that industry. If you don't have a domain expert in an industry, you're toast. You're trying to build software and, and often you're doing it with a bunch of junior developers who've never done it before because they're the only ones crazy enough to sign up for your set, for your startup. But they're, they're not seasoned developers a lot of times. So you got that risk. You may or may not have the distribution channel, but if you don't have the domain expertise, you're trying to sell to somebody who, I've been in this business for 20 years. What the heck do you know about this? And you don't really know the needs. You well, think you know the needs, but all you know is a surface needs. Sass and Scotch. I'm TK, founder at Unstoppable. On this podcast, I talk about the two things I love the most, SaaS businesses and Lagavulin and Scotch. On today's episode, we have Ken Auer joining from Role Model Software. He's the founder and CEO there. And it'll be super interesting because he owns a custom software development shop. He also is building out his B2B SaaS business. So we'll be digging into his business, the transition, his founder journey. Ken, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks, great to be here. So it's Thanksgiving and you have to explain to grandma what you guys do at Role Model Software. How do you do it? What do you guys do? Well, we build custom software tailored to your business by collaborating with you. That's awesome, nice and simple, I love it. So you must see a lot of really interesting use cases. Like what's, what is the impetus when a business comes to you and says, we don't want to buy any of the off-the-shelf software. We don't want to buy any of the millions of SaaS software that's out there. We want to custom develop our own. What does that conversation look like? How does that come together? How'd you even get into doing this? Yeah. First of all, we started the business in 97 in which SaaS wasn't a thing yet. It was a lot more common back then that the businesses would invest in software at some level, custom software. But really, the, through doing that for many years, it's the idea that they've already looked, right? They've either tried something. Usually it's not, oh, we're brilliant. We need custom software. Let's take that plunge and, and take that risk. It's usually, 
we've already taken the risk of looking at some of the stuff that's out there and it's just not cutting it for us. We have, generally speaking, some special expertise that there isn't a SaaS product for, right? Yeah. I mean, we use, we build custom software. We use SaaS products to help run our business, but there's nothing that, there's no SaaS product that says build custom software for me, for our business. And of course, for a lot of our clients, it's the same thing. We have clients in niches in construction industry, clients in the medical field, and they're doing things that just, there isn't any software where they have some special expertise. They're trying to figure out how do they leverage technology to take that expertise, that hard-earned expertise they've learned over time, and how do we take that expertise and package it up in some way that we can, you know, expand, scale our business, sell the expertise, whatever it might be. So usually when they've come, they've already ruled out those packages. Every once in a while, somebody comes and talks about customer software they want and say, it sounds like what you really want is this, and we point them to a SaaS product. Yeah. You know, there's no reason to have them spend a lot of money and, and build something from scratch when there's something out there. But there's, there isn't a SaaS product for every problem, certainly. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, and especially funny. when it comes to that hard-earned expertise that's taken 20-some years or whatever to build. When you get into the domain knowledge part of it, there, and that's what makes, I think, B2B SaaS so exciting. There's so many untapped niche industries with budget that need software and they're still doing custom development or they don't even know enough to come to you and say, hey, we need custom software. They're doing things even right. manually. And we do have customers that we build their B2B SaaS for them. They're, it's their domain. They have the expertise. They want to own the SaaS, but we, it's not our product at the end of the day. They paid us to build it and yeah. now they're doing it. So. I want to dig more into the exactly what's going on at Role Model because I know there's some transformations. And But before we do that, you went to RPI and I went to RPI. And yeah. I got to say, yeah, and for those of you that don't know, RPI is Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. It's in upstate New York, Troy, New York. I don't know about you, but there aren't a lot of entrepreneurs they come out of RPI. It's actually more on the rare side versus when you look at a Stanford or an MIT or any of those schools. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's interesting. I recently hooked up with my old roommate and that's 30 some years ago now. And come to find out there's a whole lot of folks that came out of RPI that are leading businesses, but usually they moved into businesses and then worked their way up and taken over <laughs> as opposed to let's just start something new. Not a whole lot of, at least in the past, I, I think there's a lot of activity happening there in the entrepreneurial space now more than there had been in the past. But uh, yeah, I think it's the guys who they go in, they become engineers, they get into a business and before they're smart guys and they, they figure out things that other people didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I started my first company in RPI with my freshman year roommate. And, and we were in the same fraternity. It was a few of us that started it. And we were like the only ones doing that kind of thing. Even back then, I, I'm sure now they have more incubators and entrepreneurship programs, which I think all schools they're trying to do, which is awesome. But it was cool to see RPI on your LinkedIn profile. So for you, how did you get into building this business? What's your founder's story? How this is what you wanted to do and focus on? All I knew is I liked software. Right? I started out as a baseball fan, somehow going from baseball, realized I wasn't a good enough player and being good at math. So I started getting into statistics and then somewhere along the line, found out that if you're going to do statistics, you probably want a computer. This is in late seventies, early eighties. So I, my love for baseball turned me into a computer scientist, of course. You know, from there, I just said, man, I, I just like solving problems and doing cool stuff with software and really just like solving the problems. You know, I was a problem solver. 
and find out that over time, just by paying attention, that the technical problem you're trying to solve is only a piece of it. It's a business problem. Having the minor in management at a RPI helped me understand that the guys who set up the school there were great guys. I don't know who you had, but uh, the Lolly School of Management, those guys came out of industry to teach the engineers how to talk to the suits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, where I went also was amazing. Yeah. And those guys were really good in helping understand that it's like, you can be brilliant, but if you don't know how to turn it into a business value, you're missing something. So I always had that kind of in the back of my mind as I started my software career and got into some great tech. You know, I got into object oriented technology when no one knew what it was. You know, I was really a pioneer in that. And in doing that, you end up with the guys who were innovators, early adopters, hiring me to, to do stuff. And you really get into the business problem. And yeah. that's really kind of what happened. I, I joined a small consulting company up in, in Raleigh in 90, in 88. It was, it made the Inc. 500 four years in a row. But then when the small talk C plus wars turned into you both lose, it's Java. That became, and actually I was already getting ready to start my own company at that point in time. And it really became, do I become a consultant and travel all over the place? Like some of my friends who had been pioneers in the technology were doing, or do I stay at home and raise a family? And it became obvious. I wanted to stay at home and raise a family. I, I was in the RTP area. So let me start a business and figure out how to take my reputation and turn it into local business. And it was a long, painful journey after that to have good years and bad years. And at least that's the beginning of it. I don't know how far you want me to go in here before we <laughs> cover the last 25 years of my life. <laughs> no, that's great. It, it, it does sound like you went through twists and turns and eventually uh, started. And how did you think about this is specific to you because I think most of the guests we have on the show are like, I want to go start a software company. How did you make the distinction between, I want to go start a software company where we build one product versus I want to build, I want to build multiple products for multiple companies. Like, how did you make that distinction? Was that as specific and purposeful or was it just, Hey, this is the thing to do. I'm going to go do it. I worked for a paradigm company, paradigm corporation in Florida, building the next generation management system. Back when I was there, when I moved to North Carolina, I joined a consulting company and that's what we did. We solved other people's problems. Yeah. So, you know, after nine years, that's what I was good at. And I thought about starting my own software at the time. And, and one of the things I found is most of the companies I ever worked for who built software products for software people could never make any money because software people think, oh, yeah, I can do that. I don't need to buy that. So selling software to software people is was generally hard. And I didn't have enough particular, I didn't have a domain particularly that I thought was this is the thing I want to go do, but I, I have to find, I knew how to find people who want to do that. So that's what I did. It wasn't really, to me, it was, I'm doing what I'm good at, not, and I just didn't have a good enough of my own idea at the time. Since then, having done this for many years, I find myself doing business consulting, not just software consulting, right? Because somebody comes with an idea and I explain to them why you really need to have a business plan that's a little bit better than, I think it's brilliant. It'll make millions of dollars. And after doing that for a while in 2014, with the advent, I shouldn't say the advent, but SaaS was a thing at that point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't when I started and I kept on as I'm building SaaS products for other people and sometimes watching them make some poor decisions. I was like, we could probably do this. I just need it. I just need an idea that works. And I had a client come to us who said they would want to share something. And it was the theme of, we wanted to build a deck builder, a deck designer, an online deck designer from Dex.com, a company yeah. called Dex.com, which was, they made their money by advertising, anybody who built the deck on the back of their house. But the advertising was going downhill and he said, I need to do a business model. 
So we started working with him and, and what he asked for was the same thing I heard a whole bunch of other people asking for over the years, which was really an engineered order framework. People have these systems that they build, some engineering system, whether it's in his case was a deck, but in other people's cases, it's fall protection systems on roofs. It's some other product that you have to go out and say, I'm going to configure this thing and then sell it to you and then install it for you. I always think of the Dell, when Dell first got, came out, the Dell computer configurator, the way you would put together the right components to build a computer. You, that was like revolutionary for Dell at that time. Yeah, but what I found is there, that's a configure price quote mm-hmm. space. But the thing that had been unique was people coming and saying, I want to design. They didn't call it design price quote, but that was what they wanted. I've got to design this thing. The thing that I sell is designed has some geometric variability or something. I'm going around somebody's property. I'm going around somebody's house. I'm doing something in somebody's room, whatever it might be. So as we started talking about it, I was like, this is like the guy who called me last year asking, but he didn't want to spend the money on custom software. And this is like the guy who called me a year before. So I started realizing there's a framework here we can build. It's become what we call Lightning CAD now. We've built probably a dozen products or more on it and, and it's growing pretty fast. So it's a framework for building an engineered order system, really, and, or you say design price quote system. Yeah. There's a million configure price quote systems out there. None of them are really design price quote. We've been building things for other people, sometimes SaaS products, sometimes just customer facing things that help them bring in the orders. And I already had a, always had a vision. Okay, now I've got to figure out a place I can do sharing your revenue with that because I don't want to build a whole sales organization around that. I don't know how to do that. I, I know how to help make the business decisions. I don't want to figure out how to get a bunch of venture capital and all that kind of stuff. As I started looking at this and saying, look, SaaS is out there. It's coming. We should be able to do this. We do it for everybody else. And of course, my sons start looking at American Ninja Warrior. Perfect tie-in, right? Nothing to do with it. But my son, my oldest son is an amazing athlete, got into it. My younger son saw it and said, this is really cool. And all of a sudden, some guys that my son had worked with at a previous gym opened up uh, a Ninja Warrior gym, Warrior Tech, in the RTP area. So they went and visited. Oh, this is the best thing in the world. Okay. Hey, they're having a competition. So like, we go to the competition and uh, like they're scoring the competition with the pad and a stopwatch. And you're watching. And it's like, I think he did pretty good. Is he winning? Is he losing? What's going on? And after a couple of competitions, my kids started competing in. I found out that was the state of the art. And <laughs> this, is, this Ninja Warrior sport started by the the show but this ninja warrior sport was growing like crazy and the state of the art was notepad and stopwatch and no interface to know what's going on so i looked at it and said man this wasn't really a hard thing to build i decided let's go for it i became a domain expert and i said this wouldn't be that hard to build i looked at the industry and said man this is this industry is growing like crazy a few years earlier there were 50 gyms in the country and now there was 250 and growing so I was like, yeah, maybe this can work. So we built that and now it's running most of the Ninja Warrior competitions in the country, minus one league that hasn't seen the light of day yet. But yeah, we're doing great with that. That's not a huge moneymaker because it's a small industry, small niche. Yeah. But th- that kind of started us down. Okay, this is our product. And again, being the domain expert really helped because I was one of the few people in the Ninja Warrior world that knew something about software, right? The rest of them were athletes looking for a fun place to a new sport. Yeah. <laughs> that was the niche that wasn't there. It wasn't being filled by anybody. 
but within that, we found out what the Senate actually ran is it's turned into a league management system. We're exploring the possibility of next year going after some other sports. We've already had a conversation with one, one sport and say, hey, help, let us run your league for you because you got all this infrastructure and you got athletes from all over the place and you're trying to roll up their scores. And it's actually a lot more complicated than just timing a, timing a competition. Timing a competition, we had that work in about two weeks, three weeks. It's all the rest of the stuff, the leaderboards and the live updates and everything else. So, so uh, if I were to zoom out, then, I think for you, you started with, there was no SaaS, software wasn't as accessible, but for some businesses, they would come to you and say, we need to custom create software. We have domain knowledge. Mm-hmm. It seems as SaaS has started to take off, even within different niche industries, those businesses are getting their needs met. So now you're doing a lot around Founders will come to you and say, hey, help us build our own SaaS. We have this deep domain knowledge in this specific industry. We don't know anything about software. We know everything about the industry. So let's go build SaaS software there. Exactly. And then the third is, hey, we're pretty good at this SaaS software thing. We should make some of our own. We have domain knowledge on certain things and you're starting to do that, which is cool. And it seems like maybe the businesses looking for custom software are probably going to go lower and lower because... SaaS is, that's what's powering the boom of SaaS going into these businesses and serving their needs in, in scalable ways. So we've got customers actually in Australia and the US that have these niche businesses that yep. you've been game changers for them. And a lot of it's around the Lightning Cat product, the Lightning Cat framework though. So the Ninja Masters had nothing to do with that. That was our first SaaS product, but now we're rolling out some stuff. We've got the dock designer about to roll out for some people. If you need a dock in your backyard for your boat. Yep. Um, it's so crazy and, how, how many specific categories software goes into, like a dock design. Yeah. Like, that's insane. So let me ask you this. You work with founders. There are a lot of founders on, that listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Some of them have their own development teams. Some of them are engineers themselves. And some of them are actually working with someone like you to help build the software. And you've been on the other side of this plenty of times. Sure. You like the... The, the CTO, or if you will, that's brought in, what do you find is like the top three biggest mistakes? You alluded to this a little bit earlier. The top three biggest mistakes that founders make when they are building out their product and they're in their early stages and they're coming to you and they're like, here's the thing, I want to build this Ferrari. What are the top three mistakes they, they usually make when they engage with you and you work with them to build out their B2B SaaS software? Yeah, let me give some thought to that. One would be certainly be the being captured by their own optimism about, Hey, there's a hole, there's a hole here. I can fill it yeah. and we're going to make the best thing. And, and it's not realizing how hard it is. Ideas are cheap. Mm-hmm. Implementation is hard and not just implementation, but support of the product. And it's okay. I, I can tell me, give me an idea. I'm a good software developer. I can make it work what's all the feedback you're going to get and how are you going to do, what are you going to do with that feedback? And that's really the hard part, right? The first, the, doing the demo is a piece of cake. Sure. Selling it, really meeting, making sure you're meeting people's needs, servicing it, providing high quality customer support. Man, that's where all the money comes in. And then distributing it. What's the distribution channel? That's, I would say that would be the second one. Do you have a distribution channel? And when we started looking at SaaS products ourselves, actually that was a criteria. Because he said, man, if you don't have a distribution channel, you got to spend a lot of money creating one. Mm-hmm. And we're self-funded. We're no, we don't, we didn't get any uh, venture capital. But even if I, I watch a lot of guys who did get some capital, and it's like, and if you don't get the distribution channel, it just doesn't matter. 
if you need to sell a million of these things, you got to get a distribution channel to a million people. If you need to sell a hundred of these things, you got to get a distribution channel to get to the hundred people. And when we looked at Ninja Master, the one reason we chose to do it was found out that there were a couple of leagues that had just been formed mm -hmm. and the leagues were trying to do all this by hand. And I was like, how do I get to all the gyms? Oh, the gyms are part of the league. Let me see if I can get the leagues to get to really recommend the store, then I can sell it to gyms. Yeah. And that's really what happened. We sold it to a handful of gyms to get validated, but then the leagues got wind that we had this software and then, you know, that became our distribution. That was our target all along, the leagues. leagues up, the distribution channel. That comes right. up on almost every person I ask about who's done this before and are doing it again. So what's the number one thing? And the number one thing always is distribution. And I, I agree. It's go to market distribution, get that first before you try and build anything. Because if you don't have that, it'll, you'll just have a shiny Ferrari with no road to drive it on or no track right. to go race it on. And then, and then within that distribution channel, right? If, especially if you're doing a B2B SaaS, mm -hmm. you've got to understand that industry. If you don't have a domain expert in an industry, you're toast. You're trying to build software and often you're doing it with a bunch of junior developers who've never done it before because they're the only ones crazy enough to sign up for your set, for your startup in some cases. Yeah. Right. Um, sure. But they're, they're not seasoned developers yeah. a lot of times. So you got that risk. You may or may not have the distribution channel, but if you don't have the domain expertise, you're trying to sell to somebody who I've been in this business for 20 years. What the heck do you know about this? And you don't really know the needs. You well, think you know the needs, but all you know is a surface needs. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I thought when I first looked at an image, the short need is I got to be able to time something and have a leaderboard so I can see who's there. And when I showed the gyms that, that's cool. They didn't really see the need because people were signing up for their competitions. Once they started using it, people said, oh, this is really cool. This makes my life easier. And then it became really easy when it's like, oh, and how do I get all the information to the league? So the first is, so I needed to understand the whole, I needed to understand the whole thing. And I had the advantage of having two kids who are crazy about Ninja Warrior. By the way, my sons have been on my American, my oldest son has been on American Ninja Warrior. My youngest has been on American Ninja Warrior Junior. So they're really good at it. So I got the chance to travel, to travel around and somebody paid for me to learn the league. Well, I, I paid for it. Actually, I paid for their competitions, but okay, you know, it gave me the domain it. knowledge. So the first, gave me the domain knowledge. first is distribution. Second is domain knowledge. What would you say? And for the third, like maybe here's one that maybe. Actually, I think you missed the first one is recognizing how much it's going to cost ah. beyond the demo. That's right? what I was going to. Uh, okay. I was the sustainability. Gonna I was going to circle back to that. Like a lot of times, and I've seen this, some people, I want to build an MVP. How many screens is that? And how much will that cost me? And a lot of times they're like, we'll just build this and then we'll figure it out from there. And what I think people don't realize is you need a, like a, a software company is almost like buying a Formula One car. And a Formula One car is not like your Toyota Camry where you roll it out of the factory and you can just drive it and pump it with gas. It needs a full engineering team to actually service it and run it at peak performance. You also need to build a full-fledged Formula One car. So how do you think about when you're partnering with founders in terms of how much budget, how, what's an MVP, ongoing engineering as you figure out what works and what doesn't. It's not a one and done thing. It's not just five screens. It's never. A, how do you coach your founders that you work with that kind of thing, your clients? Yeah, probably the biggest thing we typically encourage, typically always include, encourage a phased approach, right? Mm -hmm. Look, here's your big dream. 
right? The road between here and there is a long road. Even if it's even that long, even if it's only a year or two, that's a long road if yeah. you're starting on day one, mm -hmm. right? How do you get chunks of value, but also recognize that each chunk of value is only getting you a part way to that long road, right? You can't do that first chunk and okay, that's going to get me that's going to get me all the way to the horizon that I see. No, that's going to get you towards the horizon, right? Now you're in a position to get better feedback because you see a few things you didn't see before. And that's all it's going to get you, right? Now, in some cases, it might get you more because you have a client waiting for this or you have somebody pre-sold or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that's all it's getting you. In the long run, that's what it's gotten you. Sure. It's got you, it's got you to the entry gate and there's still a lot of work to do from here. So it's try to break this down into phases, try to figure out your target market, what, who's your first set of customers, who are the early adopters you think you can get and recognize, yeah, I'm not sure how much you've talked about the crossing the chasm book, which is a classic, but mm -hmm. there is a chasm there. Yeah. Getting your first few clients is fundamental and hard. You've got to get the, but you got to get those. But once you do, there's a lot of work left. Yeah. Right? You learn so much. The first challenge. couple of clients are really going to be the ones that define the core product that's going to be of real value. Yeah. But but again, they're only the first few. And they're the ones who are the risk takers. Yeah. Right? They're the rest, they're the easy sales. As hard as you think it is to sell to the first ones, in many ways, they're the easy sales. So they've got to prove a, a lot phase, of stuff to the next round of people. They should take a phased approach, take a long view on the pricing of, of how they work. So that really means that they should really budget it appropriately. It's not just a build the tool with three screens and then you're off to the races and it's all great. That's almost yeah. like a fool's errand. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly some products that you can do that with, you know, I mean, they're, but they're pretty rare. You know, I, I often get people come in and say, Hey, for five or 10 or $15,000 or whatever, can we get an MVP? If you mean MVP, like a mock-up? Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you mean MVP, like something that actually works. No. And, and anybody who's, and, and we've actually saved a bunch of people's bacon times, right? It's, look, if you don't like our pricing, you don't have to spend it. But if somebody's telling you it's going to cost you a quarter or a tenth of what we're telling you, don't believe them yeah. <laughs> or check their track record. Yeah. And if they succeed, please call us and let us know who these people are because we'd love to hire them. <laughs> but we haven't found them yet. We've been doing this thing for a long time. And, and every once in a while, people just look, they're going to buy what they want to hear. They want to hear that they can do it for 15000 Yeah. And they pay somebody 15000 who didn't know what they were doing or is playing the bait and switch game with them. Yep. And, and they get burned. Kind of things. Yeah, they get burned and then they come well, back. They, and unfortunately, they come back when they're out of money. And then and now they're asking me to save their bacon. And it's like, I can't do it, man. I told you it was, you were going to get what you wanted for your 50000 Now you lost your 50000 and now you have no credibility. I can so, see how you, in your role as you work with founders, it's part technical and enabling them on the technical. But it's also business coach of, listen, like I've seen enough software projects, enough custom dev projects. Like, here's what you need to know. And there's an art to doing this part of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Or what's the future for role model software? You are working with com uh, founders with domain knowledge that want to go build B2B SaaS software. You're building your own SaaS software. You've had an incredible 20, I want to say, what is it? 23 year, almost 24 year run 
What is the next 25 years of role model soccer? Kente has been incredible 24 year run. Some of those years were, were pretty bad. <laughs> That's how it goes though. Like 25 yeah, years of anything is like, it's going to have ups and downs. I would hope. Yeah. So one of the things that, so in 2014, as I, I presented to our, the rest of our team, Hey, I think what I want to do is I wanted to move over to starting a Skunk Works product, what I call technology-based services, right? We're still a service company. We're not going to be built. We're not going to turn into a product company where we build this, the 80% of our company has nothing to do with building software. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that wasn't us. And, but I said, we kept on running into people who, man, I'll be happy to pay $10,000 a month for the software, but I can't afford $500,000 to build my custom software. And I saw enough of the industries. There's got to be industries that we can do that. And, and you got to find those investors. Or if we can just build some technology that we can leverage, like the Lightning CAD thing that I, I knew was coming, I think we can do that. And right now that's really been a big thing. We're getting more calls for Lightning CAD because people don't, people don't just say, I need custom software. And of course, they, you search Google for custom software. I'm, I'm only competing with what, 10 million people. So... <laughs> Whereas we say, I need a design package. I need something like CAD, but an estimation software or whatever. We can target those. And there's a big niche. There's a huge niche there because you have AutoCAD, which is they're selling to the engineers. But the businesses are like, I want to get something closer to my customer. I don't want to get my engineers involved in every sale. Mm -hmm. And that's universal that's what we found in this engineer order business. They, it's not like they don't like their engineers. It's just, it's too expensive and too complicated. And a lot of engineers aren't the best salespeople. They're geeks. <laughs> and we want to get our engineers focused on building the product, not, not covering the sale. That's, there's a lot of people, it's at AutoCAD, Autodesk, they own that world. They've got a couple of competitors in certain large niches, but they're all selling to the engineers. We're basically saying you want a virtual sales engineer, right? You want the, you want people to be able to either design their own product or put the design of the product in the hands of your salespeople, not your engineers and spit out the things you want at the back end. So uh, we're getting a lot of those calls. I feel like we've just hit the tip of the iceberg. It's really been huge for us. And, and the doc designer is coming out. It's a combination. Of, it's a B2B thing. We're doing that with usually with revenue sharing with our clients. But we've got several other things in the construction industry that are, they're all, okay, is it going to be a SaaS product or is it going to be, we're going to start, we're almost like building SaaS products as reference implementations. Yeah. With a guaranteed customer of one, and then potentially you can extract it out to multiple. Right. Exactly. As a reference implementation. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I like what that's, but the way we do our business is this. Okay, great. Now let me tweak this. It's now yours, right? It's now something you do. And it's going towards your specific market, which is different than that market, but you're in the same space. You're in the same domain. So we're doing a lot of that. And that seems to really be working again, just saying I sell custom software, you know, I'm looking for a golden needle in a haystack. Who's the guy who doesn't have his own engineering staff, wants to experience custom software and is somehow going to find us out of the million options in the world. Yeah. It's a lot harder to market than it is yeah. to say, oh, you want something that does this kind of stuff. We've done it for a bunch of other customers. Yeah. We can, can do build it on the building blocks that you have from prior projects, which makes you go exactly. Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of, instead of selling the invisible, I'm selling a, a prototype in some ways by showing them what we did for somebody else. Or, oh, you did it for them. I believe you can do it for us as opposed to we can build software for anybody. Okay. Yeah. Can you prove that you can build mine? Right. So it's, it's a hard sale. And for the listeners, 
what, how would you describe your ideal customer? If they were looking for a technology partner like you, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of, what's the ideal type of founder, domain knowledge, the niche they're in that is perfect for what you guys do? Well, as I keep saying, it's somebody with hard-earned expertise, right? You've really, that you're uh, unique in your industry because of some things that you do differently than the rest and you haven't found software. Yeah. And now whether you want to turn that into a software company that's a SaaS for somebody else, or whether you just want to take advantage of that by providing better service to your customers, either one of those is the ideal customer for us, right? Yeah. It, um, it's, it's funny. If, if it's just, yeah, good. No, go for it. I would just say if, if, it's a, if it's somebody who in your audience is saying, okay, I, I, I've got this great idea for a SaaS, I don't have the engineering team, I would say, look, you can take your chances on hiring a bunch of young entrepreneurial-minded engineers who've never built software before, never built sustained software before. And there's people who've done it, right? I'm not saying it's not, it can't be done. There's lots of stories out there, mm-hmm. but that's a pretty high-risk situation. Find a, find a set of people who've been doing this for a long time. And if you think building this thing is risky without the right team, you don't have to go try to build one and hope you build it. We've got to build, we've got an engineering team ready for you. Right? That's awesome. We, we do it all the time. So I want to wrap here on this. You've been a founder, CEO for quite some time and have grown role model. What is the one advice you'd give for first time, second time founders that are earlier in the journey? They're in their first five years of building a business with hopefully what is going to be another 10 years, 15 years to build something great, sustainable, high growth. What's the one piece of advice you'd give them for the ones that are starting to learn how to navigate this marathon that they're on? Sure. Uh, A lot of it depends on where you are in life, right? First of all, make sure you can eat, right? And if you're responsible for a family, make sure your family can eat. Whatever that is, don't get so big on, I want to make the biggest SaaS product in the world or the best thing. I want to make a, be a millionaire and, and your family suffers for it. You know, it's just not worth it, but yeah, make sure you can eat. Right. And also that might mean you got to tighten your belt for a few years. If you really believe in this thing, you got to persevere. Yeah. Don't believe the stories that because somebody started a company and a year and a half later sold it for $11 million to Google, that's going to be you. It, it's uh, you got a better chance of being a professional baseball player, which is what I wanted to be. It didn't work for me. You think about that. How many professional baseball players are there? A uh, thousand plus or minus, <laughs> right? Out of all the people who try to build, be a baseball player, a thousand make it. Yeah. Same thing with this successful entrepreneur in software. Maybe it's not a thousand, maybe it's 10,000 or whatever, but your odds are not great. But the only way you're going to beat those odds is uh, the best way to beat those odds. Persevere. Don't just think this is going to be a, a tough year and a half while I build this business and then we're going to sell it for a million and a half or 18 million or, or whatever your number is, right? It's, yep. It could happen, but man, that's a bad bet. Uh, also, a lot of times what ends up happening more often than those founders is they make the sale, but then they're really, they, they got their money, but they're now back to square one of what I really wanted to do is just build a company. So now they're back to square one of finding and starting again. Sure, it's yeah. a little bit easier the second time around, but they're still looking for their purpose. They sell their purpose sure. also with that. And, and with us, it was build a culture first. I cared about building an environment that people could thrive in. I, didn't, I told you I didn't want to travel the country and screw up my family. Yeah. I didn't want to screw anybody else's up either. Trying to build a company with sustainable pace. You hear about all these entrepreneurs who work 80, 90 hour weeks or whatever for however long. That's if you want to do that, I can't tell you how to run your life, but I, I don't think it's a good bet. Yeah. And 
This was awesome. I, I truly got a lot of value from this conversation. I know our founders were trying to think about the right technology partner, the right co-founder to have, how to think about growing their businesses would get a lot of value. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us today. I appreciate the opportunity and wish you, I know this is a kind of a new podcast for you, but uh, yeah, you did a great job. Having been on a couple of others, I'll tell you, you've asked some really good questions and obviously you, you have their domain now. You have your domain now. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, we put a lot of thought into these and my goal for this was, well, there's a lot of people out there that have already been there, done that and gone to the beach. I want to get founders and CEOs that are in the Shawshank crawl right now and just talk about what's working, what's not and experiences. So we can all collectively commiserate and grow and be successful together. And that's a goal of, of this podcast. So it's been an honor and a pleasure to get to interview people like you and ask questions. And I'm constantly like, what's the question I can ask? That's just, they're going to be like, huh. And they'll think, and then they'll have a brilliant answer because they know they have their domain knowledge on what they're doing. So that's what kind of has been the challenge, the fun challenge for me. Great. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. If you liked this episode, please let us know by tweeting out this episode and mentioning us. There's a click to tweet link in the episode description. We'll also include a link to uh, Role Model Software if you want to get in touch with them. And remember, most importantly, everyone needs a strategy for their life and their business. When you're with us, yours will be unstoppable. I'm TK and I'll see you in the next episode.